Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Faith FM. This is the Faith FM team coming to you from Ethiopia. We have come to the Encounter with God section of our program where we are studying the book of Revelation, which has just been truly amazing. We have also been uh, presenting this subject here in Ethiopia, which has been challenging, particularly for those who have two translators. Thankfully, at my site, we only have one just into Amharic, but uh, God has been blessing as a result of studying the book of Revelation. People have been giving their lives to God, mm. and some truly amazing things have been happening. Okay, so let's go to Revelation chapter 15. We have a controversial subject today. So get ready to send us some messages. What is our text message, Mon? Our text number. Uh, 0491-064-669. Yes. You know, I say this number every day of my life. And I haven't memorized it. Yeah, same. It's just it's the slackest <clears throat> thing ever. So, so get, ready, get ready to send us a text message. Or better still, because we're in Ethiopia, send us a message on Facebook. Yeah, that's a good idea. And uh, that way we'll be able to get it over here. In fact, this is our last program from Ethiopia, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So we're going we're to skip, yeah, we're we're gonna skip one program. And then we'll be back on air from Australia because we've got uh, we'll be travelling during the next yeah. show. Yeah, we actually leave uh, Ethiopia on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. So um, keep us in prayer as we travel. I have a really long journey. My travel is about thirty five hours long. You, Mon's, Mon's got the milk run. Yeah, I've got the milk run. Hey, come back to me. So where, whereabouts, whereabouts are you going, Mon? On your way home, are you, oh. going, are you going to London and Malawi and everywhere <laughs> else like Lawson did on his way over? I have three layovers. Uh, one's in Dubai, I think Singapore and Melbourne as well. So yeah, I'm, yeah. But it's interesting because I've never tried a I've never tried a journey where I have a series of short flights because none of my flights are more than either five or six hours, which is good. I think I'm gonna test it out because usually, like, usually I'm like, nah, just get it all done in one big hit, just one massive, you know, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen hour flight and be done with it. So this will be the first time that I break it up. So I'm gonna see which which kind of travel I prefer. So maybe I'll find I like this better, and um, if it's cheaper, maybe I'll keep doing it. But it definitely doesn't save me any time. But yeah, so we are going to be traveling, and then we'll be back on air Tuesday or Wednesday. So. We'll be back on air Tuesday, God what, willing. What, what date is Tuesday? I don't know, the 2nd of April. Okay, I think I think I'll be I'll be back on there on Wednesday then because I land while you guys are doing the show on. Yeah, Tuesday. so it'll be Lawson and I jet lag to the max, eyeballs hanging out of our head in the studio, just going for it. Good morning, welcome to Faith <laughs> FM. Faith <laughs> FM Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that'll be fun. I think on the first of April, I when the breakfast show goes to air because we will have uh, some some amazing people filling in for us. Uh, I will be landing in. Sydney about the time the program starts. I would be, but it's April Fool's, <laughs> so I might not be. Well, hey, yes, this is the- <laughs> I'm lost, and you're going to milk this thing. He's going to call it like, I'm in London, guys. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. I'm married an Ethiopian. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I didn't get on the plane. <laughs> I fell in love. Anyway, let's go to Revelation chapter 15, and we will look at uh, verse 5. So we've dealt, we've dealt with 144,000. We've dealt with those who gained the victory over the beast, his mark, his image, the number of his name. We've dealt with this last group of people who are living on earth. And now we come to Revelation chapter 15 and verse 5. Okay, the Bible says... After these things I looked and behold a temple of the tabernacle of the testimony 
in heaven was opened. Okay, so what do we have that John is seeing right here? The temple of the tabernacle of the testimony. Okay, this is important. In heaven. In, in heaven. heaven. That's right, this is important. Uh, I do have people who come to me at times and say that there's no such thing as a temple in heaven. I find that very, very hard to explain to, or I would find that very, very hard to explain to seekers that are learning the Bible for the first time as an evangelist, because I, I study the Bible a lot with people who have never studied the Bible before. And one of the first things that you need to accomplish in evangelism is to actually teach people that the Bible can be trusted. Now, the temple, the sanctuary, the tabernacle, its furniture and its services are mentioned over 100 times in the book of Revelation alone. Mm -hmm. And you get these really specific references like this over and over and over and over again. And so in my mind, it's like, okay, we're going to study the book of Revelation. And every couple of verses, it talks about the temple in heaven. And every time it talks about the temple in heaven, I have to turn around and say, well, it's not actually there. But you, can, yeah. but you need to believe the Bible. Yeah, that'd be difficult. It'd be very difficult. I, I don't know how some of these guys actually manage that. What's the purpose of them not believing it? Like, usually when I find that there's like some sort of false doctrine floating around, there has like a malicious sort of backstory to it. Like, it usually undoes the power of Jesus somewhere, somehow. So what... What is there gained on the devil's side of things if people don't believe there's a temple in heaven? Okay, so it varies um, from the majority of people who say there's no temple in heaven. Uh, the only thing it really attacks is the inspiration of Scripture and the and, and, and the way we read the Bible, the way we understand the Bible. But the other thing with that some people, they use it as a reason to say, well, there's no such thing as you know uh, two phases of Christ's yep. ministry, mm -hmm. um, and they go down that whole path. You know the the, the judgment began when Jesus ascended into heaven in AD 31, all of this kind of thing. Um, and it does away with, you know, Daniel 8, 14, um, etc. That's so the those thing. Are the, those are the, the, the sort of, it starts in one, uh, one extreme is it's just, you know, it makes the Bible questionable. Um, the other extreme is you start doing away with Christ's ministry in heaven. That's the thing. Ultimately, it's like, you know, as the, I'm just going to say this because you know controversial, whatever. But as the you know as the Seventh Day Adventist Church, we found you know we have we have found a doctrine which includes all of these verses and is coherent and makes sense. And it's like people don't want to believe that. People don't want to believe in an investigative judgment. You know, for, for whatever reason, they're like, nah. I'm like, I don't want to believe in that. And so then they just have to write verses off as, oh, we don't know what that means. Like, like the 2300 days. Like when it's talking about the temple in heaven. Like, you know, one of the most powerful things about the book of Revelation is it's opening and it's like, Christ is our high priest. Like, it's like the most epic thing ever. Um, but then, you know, people are like, nah, and like, just doesn't mean anything and they have no idea what they believe. So it's just, this is wild. I hate it. I do find that when people decide there's a part of the Bible that they're not going to believe, like, for example, there's no temple in heaven, it might seem, you know, like a small issue, but people don't seem to realize that if they chuck out one part of the Bible, it often has a ripple effect into, it just, it ends up pulling the rug out from a lot of other sort of fundamental doctrines and beliefs in the Bible. I think it's very dangerous to disregard something like, oh, no, I don't believe that bit. Okay, it's so all here's, connected. Here's, here's one of the objections that I often get faced with. Let me hit it, hit, hit it with you guys. All right. Um, does this mean then that Jesus is locked up in a small box in heaven for the last 2,000 years? No. 
What kind of a dumb objection is that? <laughs> Seriously, I get hit with that objection. They're like, you believe in it. Our God is so big and so powerful and so immense and so all present. How could you possibly think to ourselves he's locked in a box? <laughs> Come on now. Okay, but Jesus is a human being, so he is not he is not omnipresent. He is he's a human being. So does that mean that Jesus is locked up in this uh, tiny little box in heaven for all of this time period? Yeah, but we have one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. It's like Jesus is a man, but Jesus is God. You know, he like th- that. That's actually the thing that was so powerful about his ministry, um, and, and that that I, I thoroughly believe is that when he came down to, to earth, he never like just fully relinquished his divinity, so he couldn't use it. We see that very clearly from the temptations. Like Satan's like, if you're hungry, turn this stone into bread. And he could do it. But it was that he didn't use it and he lived the life of a man as a God and then died. And that's how he paid for our sins. And it's like, while he's in heaven, yes, he's 100% man, but he is still... 100% God. God. He, he is, is sovereign God. God. He is sovereign God and ruler in the universe. He can go and come as he pleases. And when we talk about a small box in heaven, what on earth are people thinking about? Are they trying to, are they, are they seriously trying to say that people think that the temple that's in heaven is, you know, something like the size of the one that's here on earth? I mean, I imagine the temple in heaven as being something more like the size of the Orion Nebula. You know, yeah. the whole lot. Yeah, absolutely. A, a building that is literally millions of light years across. I mean, come on, this is heaven for goodness sake. This is where God lives. I mean, well, I have no idea. Um, and I'm just sort of, you know, in my mind's eye, I'm picturing it. But, you know, come on, guys, let's, let's, let's be realistic. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Anyway, Revelation chapter 15, and we will go to verse 6. Please, Lawson. The Bible says, And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues clothed with pure bright linen, and having their chests girded with golden bands. I just finished the chapter for us. All right. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Here it gets. Here it comes. Here it comes. Here it comes. Some chronological context here. Okay, so we've got some chronological context and one of the things that I want to point out as far as chronological context goes is this. I want you to notice that in the beginning of the chapter, we talked about a section that was in parentheses, right? Mm-hmm. In the beginning of the chapter, when these first, when these seven angels are first seen, do they have? Do they already have the plagues? Yes. Yes. And then when we come down to, we come past that section that is in parentheses, where the Bible picks up the story again, and notice what happens. They don't have the plagues yet. Mm-hmm. It's actually gone back to chronologically previously to verse one. We have oh. just got seven angels, and then they are given the plagues. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is very, very clear evidence that we have right here that the section about the one hundred forty-four thousand is a section that is in parentheses. It's a parenthetical mm-hmm. uh, piece that we have right there. Okay, so that's a uh, that's a, an interesting uh, uh, thought. So what we have then is uh, the seven angels. They're given the seven plagues to be poured out on the earth, and then in verse eight we find what happens. 
in verse 8, um, the temple is filled with smoke of the glory of God. Okay, this is super interesting. We're going to look at what smoke symbolizes. Ooh. But before we do, what does this smoke accomplish? Well, it means that no one enters the temple till the seven last plagues um, have been finished. So what does it mean if no one enters the temple? No man can enter the temple, the Bible says. Well, that means the second coming hasn't happened. Okay, this is true. The second coming has not happened yet, yes. All right, oh, but I want, you to, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. Gears are turning. Okay, gears are turning. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Oh, yeah. Hebrews chapter 4. Here it comes. Here we Here go. Here we go. I'm, I'm feeling it a while. All I right, think we're right, on a, like right, a level right. right now. Verse 16. <laughs> Hebrews 4 and verse 16. Who's got that one for us? Mon, have you got that one there? Hebrews 4 and verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay. All right. So, so, where is God's throne? In the tabernacle. In the temple. Yeah. The Bible says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace Mm -hmm. right there in uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 4. But in Revelation chapter 15 and verse 8, what does the Bible say we cannot do? No man can enter the temple. No man can enter the temple. That's a pretty heavy statement right there. Okay, so this one freaks people out. Okay, it's yeah, freaking me out okay, right now. Right, right. Lawson is freaking um, out of his mind. Um, Just for the record, oh. he is, his, his brain is melting right yeah, now. I am. Um, and, and one of the reasons is people read that and they, and they come up with this conclusion. It's like, okay, how am I going to survive spiritually during that time period when I can't enter the, 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 the throne of, you know, I can't go to the throne of grace? Mm. And, the, and so then you get a certain portion of uh, Christianity who decides that, okay, I've got to get spiritually strong enough so that I can bridge the gap in my own. I can stand alone in my own strength. No, I've got. Has enough, everybody I've, has anybody I've, ever tried to stand in their own strength? I've tried it a few times. Yeah, it How long really does it last? Super doesn't work. Never going to happen. Okay, I've got. I've got another solution. This is the other way you can go. It's called the cop out method. Okay, go to Afghanistan and preach the gospel. Yep. Walk into the middle of a square and start shouting, you know, about Jesus. Get shot in the head. And then you don't have to worry then about it. You don't it. have to worry about it. You you're, about you're, it. you're sealed, bro. Okay. I actually told this, I was talking with uh, Matt Power, the evangelism director once, and I was telling him, you know, about this joke that we had amongst Bible workers. And he was like, yeah, that would be so funny until you wake up in the ses- second resurrection and you look around and everyone's like all ugly and mangled and you're like, man, where am I? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. You guys, you guys. Okay, let's get back to more serious things. We're studying the Bible here, right here. Okay, here's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13. Jesus says, I will never leave, leave you, you, nor forsake you. Mm. End of story. The issue is not whether we have access to the temple in heaven or not. The issue is whether we have access to Jesus or not. I would say the issue is, does Jesus have access to us? Yes. He always has yes. access to us. Absolutely, because no one mm. is ever going to stand in their own strength. You can't white-knuckle it enough to be able to get yourself to the point where you can, like, yes, I'm going to make it from one side of this period to the other on my own. You will never be alone. So the issue is not whether Jesus is interceding for you or not. The issue is is Jesus with you or not? That is mm. the issue. And, and, and if Jesus is with me and he promises he will never leave me, if Jesus is with me, what do I have to be afraid of? 
Yeah, Seriously. Wow. Mm. Why do people get so upset over this and try and come up with all kinds of, you know, extra biblical ideas as to, you know, how this all takes place? The only thing I need to know is that Jesus is with me during this time period. Be anxious for nothing, the Bible says, <laughs> but in all things, in, in prayer and supplications, let your request be made known to God. Yeah. It's like, that's where we're at. You know? Okay, so let's think about the smoke. Okay. The Bible says... I was wondering about the smoke. Yes. Does it represent cancer? It does not represent What cancer. does smoke represent in the Bible? Because, I mean, I sort of think of smoke as a negative thing. Okay, so we're going to go back to the story of the Exodus. And the reason we're going to go back to the story of the Exodus is because we have just been reading about the Song of Moses, right? Yes. During the in the experience of Moses, okay, let's think mm-hmm. about uh, yep. the song yep. of Moses, which was uh-huh. um, actually the song of Miriam. Uh, but previous to that song, and during that song, was there some smoke? Was there a tall pillar of smoke? Ooh, yes, there was, wasn't there? The day All right, so, so okay, 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 okay. Let's think about this smoke, and let's think about the function of this smoke. The Bible describes it variously as either a pillar of cloud or a pillar of smoke. Mm. Oh, okay, gotcha. When the Israelites were being chased by the Egyptians and the Israelites came to a point where they were boxed in, the pillar of smoke came between the Israelites and the Egyptian army. And the Egyptian army could not find their way through it. Yes. Okay. Like a thick fog, guys. Like a thick fog. And so that pillar of smoke was protection for God's people but it was judgment on those who were not servants of God. So, 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 when the, the temple is filled, here, go, okay, here, here, here it is, here it is, when the temple is filled with smoke in heaven, probation yes. is closed. Probation is closed. This is protection for God's people, and it is judgment on the wicked. Oh, mind blown. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Got brain coming while, out of my while your mind, <laughs> While your mind is blowing, let me now take you to the book of Isaiah. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here it goes. Here it goes. This is awesome. This is awesome. Uh, let me go to Isaiah chapter 4. So, flicking the pages. Please don't do this while you're driving this morning. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 4, really short chapter. Yeah, very short chapter. Very short chapter. It has some interesting stuff in it, um, particularly in the way that it describes God's church in verse 1 at the end of time. So maybe we'll start in, uh, yeah, let's start in verse 1, because it it starts by describing the condition of God's church just before Jesus comes back. Now, before we read verse 1, let us remind ourselves of the condition of God's church just before Jesus comes back. In Revelation chapter 3, the last church is described. It's called Laodicea. What is its condition? It's super lazy. It is super lukewarm. All right. Let's uh, think then about um, the ten virgins. The, the, mm-hmm. Once again, God's church at the end of time. Half of them are lost. Half of them are unready. And all of them are asleep. Mm -hmm. So the Bible gives a description of God's church at the end of time in verse 1, but then it goes on to talk about those who are truly, truly dedicated to God, the wise virgins, so to speak. And, uh, and, and, And that is where, as we move on down through this chapter, what we're going to find is... Uh, a description of those true virgins, those who are true to God, along with the whole story about smoke. And we are going to find out why the temple in heaven is filled with smoke. 
and what the function of that smoke is and why it is there. But we're going to talk about that. We have a song break. We're going to come back in just a moment and we have some stuff that is going to melt your brain.
Welcome back, everybody. You listen to Faith FM, 87.6, or 88, coming to you from Ethiopia. And we are about to read uh, Isaiah chapter 4. We're going to find out about smoke and why the temple in heaven is filled with smoke. But before we do, there is a brief description of God's church at the end of time. Lawson, read for us verse 1. All right, the Bible says, And in that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own food and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. Oh, that is rough. Okay, so what does a, what does a woman symbolize in Bible prophecy? A church. A church. And seven women. What does seven symbolize? What have we got here? Satan's church or God's church? God's, God's church. church. God's church. And who is the one man? Jesus. How do you know? Well, because he's always, he's my man. Like, he's, he's the one man. He's, okay, okay. It's, it's, that doesn't sound like sound reasoning no, it at all. Sound reasoning at all. <laughs> Let me give you some sound reasoning. The one man has the power to take away their reproach. Okay, oh, yeah. Yes. Jesus. That's yeah. Jesus. So here's what you've got. You've got God's church comes to God at the end of time, and God's church says, you know what? We want to wear what we want to wear. We want to eat what we want to eat. Uh, we just want to be called Christians so that um, our approach is taken away. That's a description of Christianity at the end of time. We want to live however we want to live, just as long as we have your name attached to us. Um, we're fine if we've got your name attached to us, and uh, all is good. Um, complete disregard for what Jesus Complete disregard for everything the Bible says. Yeah. Okay, so this that's, is that's that's rough That's definitely what's happening today. Yeah, yeah, that's a good description. But then the Bible goes on. Roast. And the Bible goes on roast, all right. It's a serious roast. The Bible goes on to talk about those, the wise virgins, those who are seriously servants of God. That's who we need to be. Lawson, read for us verse 2. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. Okay, so a couple of symbols coming through right here. You've got the symbol of the branches and the vine. John talks about that. Yes. We yep. are the branches. Jesus is the vine. The Bible talks about the branches that are beautiful and glorious. Mm-hmm. In other words, those Christians that are true to God. So there's a contrast yep. here, isn't there? There's a contrast yes, yes, between yes. those like, yeah, we're just going to take the name of Jesus and those who are actually connected to Jesus. Mm. They have a vital living connection with the vine. And then you have um, those that have escaped of Israel. Israel oh, well, in the Bible the is fruit, a symbol just, of God's church. Yeah, yeah, they're bearing fruit. They're bearing fruit. That's like super important as well. And, and the fruit is amazing. Yeah. Okay, so notice that we've gone from, you know, really slack Christians to really devout Christians. Yeah. Okay, all right, good. Context. Um, Mon, verse 3, please. Verse 3 says, And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remains in Jerusalem shall be called holy, even everyone that is written among the living in Jerusalem. Okay, so what I want you to notice here mm. is that you have remnant terminology coming through. Yes. Okay, so remnant, those who are left. Yeah, those the who Bible remain. Says, the Bible speaks about the remnant in Revelation 12 and verse 17, um, and the Bible describes the remnant of the woman's seed who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Mm. Okay, verse 4. Okay, the Bible says, when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. Okay, so let's stop here for a moment. What has been taking place in preparation for this time period? So the, they've been they've been washed. They've been washed. They've been made clean during, notice, the time of the judgment. Mm, yep. Okay, so the judgment is taking place before Jesus comes back, and during that time, God's people have been washed and made clean. How are we washed and made clean? 
with the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus, there is no other way. Washed, washed in his blood. That's what the Bible says, and there's a few great old hymns that say that. Oh, there well. are some amazing hymns that okay, say that. Okay, 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 okay. We were talking about the parallels between Moses... Mm-hmm. And uh, the end of time And the experience of Moses and Miriam And the children of Israel And the cloud of smoke The pillar of smoke Weren't we? Yes Okay And we were talking about Okay the, the, the plagues are coming Whereabouts are you going to hide During the plagues? Yesterday we said The only place that you can hide During the plagues Is uh, in the shadow of the Almighty At the cross Under his wings Under Another his wings At the cross There you go There you go the, 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 the old songs are coming out Lawson's trying <laughs> Not to sing here. Um, we're <laughs> yeah, trying really hard. Okay. All right, watch this verse five. Verse five, here it comes. Uh, what do you got, Lawson? All right, then the Bible says, Then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of the flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a covering. And verse six, just to finish it off. All right, and there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat for a place of refuge and for a shelter from storm and hail. Ooh, there it's mentioned. Okay, so this is an end time prophecy right here. This is an end time prophecy. It's also mentioned in Psalms 27. It's also a song about this, you know, the shelter in the time of storm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what it's all about because here what God is saying is like, yeah, the plagues are coming. But just as the plagues in ancient Israel fell on the Egyptians rather than God's people, the seven plagues of uh, that, that fell on Egypt, the, the seven of the plagues that fell on Egypt fell only on the Egyptians and not on God's people. In the seven last plagues, none of those plagues will fall on God's people. Wow! The Bible says that the Lord will create upon every living place of Mount Zion a cloud and a smoke, and that cloud and that smoke is a symbol of protection. Mm. Can I just read Psalms yeah, 27 yeah, yeah. verse 5? Yes, please, please, please. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. There That's, you go. You couldn't get more clear than that. You cannot get clearer than that. You cannot get clear. So when the Bible says that the temple in heaven is filled with smoke, it is a symbol that the time of the plagues have come. Probation has closed and God is there to protect his people. That's what it's all about. That's amazing. We have nothing to fear in the plagues because God's protection will be right there. Um, and, and it's interesting how it describes it, you know, as, as a smoke by day and a flaming fire by night. And when you study the history of Israel, that cloud of smoke, that pillar of smoke gave them shade during the daytime because they're out in the desert. It was pretty hot and miserable. And believe me, I have been in that desert. I have been in that desert when it's been in the 50s. Mm. In the 50s. In the 50s. Come on, Lyle. Seriously. They needed some shade and they had some shade. But then at night time, of course, in a desert, the the, the temperatures just plummets. Mm. And so the cloud cloud of smoke would turn to a pillar of fire and it would warm the camp. And this is what God is doing. He's like, yeah, I'm going to take care of you guys. Doesn't matter what's going to take place. Doesn't matter whether the sun scorches the earth. I'm going to give you shade. You know, it doesn't matter if the if the uh, you know the oceans turn to blood. I'm going to give you water to drink. Wow! It doesn't matter if there's you know terrible diseases going around. 
you're not going to be affected by it. Mm. And, and this is this is the whole lesson that we find as we come down through here. Um, a shadow in daytime from heat and a place of refuge and a covering from storm and rain. This is God's promise to us. Let's cling to God's promises as we go through this day back right after this song with Question of the Day.
listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. What they say, I know that if I do, I'll be following something I can't know. Deceitful land untrue. I couldn't love you if I tried. I couldn't find a way. Unless my heart is led by God, I'll only go astray. If we wanna be one heart, one flesh. One instead of two There's gotta be three cords woven God and me and you If our hearts burn within us with The fire that consumes Only then can we say I love you Well God is love He gives to us a priceless gift that's free gave himself, he gave his all unconditionally. I want to love you like he does, Lord. Give me eyes to see. The only way I can is if you live inside of me. If we want to be one heart, one flesh, one instead of two, there's got to be three cords woven. God and me and you If our hearts burn within us with The fire that consumes Only then can we say I love you Love is kind, love never fails It ain't boastful, proud or rude It bears all things, believes all things Rejoices in the truth Love will never seek our own Love's patient, love endures And if we want love like that It's what we'll have to do If we want to be one heart, one flesh One instead of two There's got to be three cords woven God and me and you If our hearts burn within us with fire that consumes Only then can we say I love you
And if we wanna be one part, one flesh, one instead of two, it's gotta be three chords woven. God and me and you. If our hearts burn within us with the fire that consumes, only then can we say I love you. Cause the love of God is the only love that's true. And I love you with a love that's true. Welcome back, guys. We have come to question of the daytime, and as always, we have interesting questions come through. You are allowed to ask anything here on Faith FM, and if it relates to the Bible and what the Bible talks about, then we will have a crack at finding you an answer. Okay, so Lawson, what do we have for question of the day today? So our question of the day is, should Christians use contraceptives? Okay, that's a really interesting one. Lawson, let me ask you this question. Mm-hmm. How long have contraceptives been in existence for, and for how long have human beings being, been using them? I think for a really, really long time. If you were to look in the Bible to find out the first recorded use of contraceptives in the Bible, what book of the Bible would you go to? Genesis. You would indeed go to Genesis chapter 38. And so contraceptives and the whole concept of using contraceptives has been around for a very, very long time. Now, there has been a thought that has come up on occasions and been rather unsuccessfully promoted that Christians should only ever have sex, make love for the purpose of procreating having children. And if you weren't trying to have children, then you shouldn't do that. There's a bit of a Victorian era concept. Uh, Victorians often promoted these kind of concepts. They were never good at at, at pulling them off or accomplishing them. Um, But the Victorians, when it came to sex, they were the ones who, they were were the generation who really, really messed up everything to do with sex. They just like, anything to do with sex for Victorians was just innately evil. And, uh, you know, if you had to do it, if you had to bear it just so that you could have children, then you're allowed to do that and that was about it. They were a, a very messed up bunch. However, what does the Bible teach? The Bible is very, very clear that sex is not just given to us for the purpose of having children. Sex is something that God has given to us as human beings that in the context of a marriage relationship is to create closeness and intimacy between husband and wife. It's created for pleasure. It's created for joy. It's in many ways a foretaste of heaven. And if you want a really good perspective on sex, there is a whole book of the Bible that is dedicated just to the subject of sex. It is all about sex. And you might think, really? That's in the Bible? When I say this, I often get people who look at me shocked and they're like, the Bible talks about sex? Yes, indeed it does. Go and read the Song of Solomon. It is a beautiful poem, uh, poetic book. Um, It is quite raunchy in places. It is very explicit. Um, It is uh, definitely... um, 
yeah, something that we would probably give a rating today, definitely higher than PG if we were going to have it in today's society. Uh, but that book remains a part of the Bible. And the reason why it is a part of the Bible is because sex is an important part of what it means to be a human being. The human experience involves sex. It's a beautiful thing. It is created by God and is given to us as a gift. And because God addresses everything, the Bible is a book that covers all aspects of what it means to be a human being. The Bible includes the book, The Song of Solomon. So the Song of Solomon is a, it's a poem that uh, Solomon has written. It is the experience of him meeting and falling in love with and marrying his first love, his first wife. Solomon, you know, the, the, from history, we, uh, we, the, the story comes down that she died young, possibly in childbirth, and, you know, he was so distraught, he was broken as a result of that because he truly loved this woman. And you can see it coming, right the, coming through right the way through the book. That that's where he really started to come unstuck as a young man, and that's where he just you know fell apart and ended up replacing this one beautiful relationship that you have in Song of Solomon with thousands of wives to try and fill an empty hole that was in his heart, and it just didn't work. It was a path of destruction that brought him unstuck, and so it creates a contrast when you read Song of Solomon and the history of Solomon and where he was when he wrote the Song of Solomon and where he ended up. You have this stark reality between two different lifestyles that we can choose. Sex is a beautiful thing. Contraceptions enable us, contraceptives, I guess or I should say, enable us to enjoy this blessing that God has given to us in the marriage relationship as he designed it should be. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible teaches. And we're going to be back with our free giveaway um, right after I Know What Love Is by Melissa Otto.
Welcome back, guys. That was I Know What Love Is by Melissa Otto, a beautiful song about true love. And right now we have come to the end of the show where we give something away. So you know what to do. Just give us a call right now. Lawson, what are we giving away today and why? Okay, so we're giving away a book called Surviving Grief. That seems a strange book to be giving away after a subject on contraception. Yeah, well, the, the thing is, is that you, you touched on when we were talking about, you know, contraception, you're talking about the life of Solomon, and you touched on how, you know, he writes the Song of Solomon about his first wife, his first love, and he loses her, and there's just the enormous grief leads him to try and fill that hole with, you know, for him it was with with all these different relationships and, and whatnot. Um, this book here, Surviving Grief, talks about how to to get through that essentially to get through that grief and rather than to turn to the world which is something that a lot of people have experienced I, I know for myself you know when you go through hard times when you go through loss when you go through struggle it's it's easy to just turn to different comforts whereas this this book is about turning to God in those situations and how he can help you get get through those things um, 100% um, in fact the, the author um, her name is Sandy Zaug and you know her herself when she had her children were the ages of 8 and 13 um, she lost her husband to colon cancer um, and then you know nine years later her, her son died in a car accident um, so just she has been through one of those you know terrible experiences and then out of that you know wrote this book on how she got through it and, and some practical tips on how we can get through grief ourselves so if you want this book give us a call 1-800-324- 843 we'll give it to you for free thank you for joining us and stay tuned he's able to keep us from stumbling he is able Distances come between everything that we hold dear. He is able to draw us into deeper life. He is able to cut away like a knife everything that keeps us from Him. Everything that keeps us from Him.
ฉันเ